Are you ready to study the Bible? All right. I want you to turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that the entrance of it gives us light. Today, we are going to see what you did in sending out your church. And so, Lord, would you help us? Give us a revelation. Give us understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of you know that in the six months that we've been going as a church, we've been putting down foundation stones. We've been putting together who we are, what God wants us to be, trying to articulate that, trying to clarify vision and direction. And, uh, and it's a miracle to me that this movie theater is full of people for a second service. I remember the first day before we had launch Sunday and we had all our launch team and they all fit in this section right here. And we turned around and looked up at these seats and prayed over them and asked Jesus to send people. We asked him to send laborers. He's doing it. It's an incredible thing. My purpose in coming to one chapel, coming to, to Austin to, to plant one chapel was not to build a church that would just take care of itself, was to, but was to build a church that would believe that we are part of the city and the community that we live in and that our responsibility is to be the skin that Jesus has on, that our skin is Jesus to other people, that our, our bodies and our minds and our words are the, ones that, are, the, are the bodies that Jesus uses, are the words that Jesus uses the hands and the feet that Jesus uses to touch this city, to be a representation. And I believe that when we come here and we worship Jesus and his presence comes upon us and we sense him here, that we are a, a, a group of people that believes in the presence of God. But that presence has a purpose. And as he pours it into us, then our job is to take that presence and to carry it. We are the carriers of his presence and we take it everywhere we go. And we build relationships and we begin to build alliances and partnerships and we begin to share with one another who we are. There's a community of relationships that, that, we're, that we're, we give access to each other. We allow access into our lives. People allow us into their lives and we begin to understand who we are, even in our own brokenness, even in our own difficulty. We walk with one another. But then it's so important for the world to see that. Those healthy relationships, the presence of God in us. And that's why we must be focused on our mission. We must let people see who we are. We must allow people to gain access into the presence of God and what he's saying and what he's doing. And that's why one chapel must be engaged in missionary work. We are essentially missionaries. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a missionary. <laughs> now, now here's the thing. Here's the thing. Today is very special because what we're going to do is we're going to commission some unique missionaries. We're going to commission some people among us as a church. We're going to commit to the mission that God is giving them to go beyond our borders and to go to a place where the gospel is not represented. 
If you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you see that it is Jesus, and he is communicating to his disciples. It is the last thing that he says before he leaves this earth, and he says in verse 8, but you will receive power. Everybody say power. God wants to give you power, and then he wants you to use it. The power of the Holy Spirit, it says, will come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What the Holy Spirit wants to do in us as we understand his presence, as we receive him, is he wants to give us power so that we can be his witnesses. What do witnesses do? Witnesses simply tell what they've seen and what they heard. They tell what they've seen and what they've heard. (laughs) If you have nothing to tell because you haven't seen and heard much, you may need to plunge into God a little deeper. You may need to surrender a little bit more because he wants to do his work in you. He wants to do his work in us and then he wants to send us. Austin is our Jerusalem. It is the Jerusalem of one chapel. And then when, you, when, he, when Jesus said this, he said, Jerusalem is the city. I want you to take care of it. I want you to be my witnesses here, but then I want you to go into Judea and Samaria. This was one culture beyond their own. This was one cultural barrier that they needed to break through, that they needed to break through the prejudices and the barriers of their own city culture and be able to, to share the love of Christ beyond that border, beyond that culture, beyond that barrier. So he he sent them to, but then he said, I don't want you to stop there. I want you to go to the ends of the earth. Everybody say that phrase together, the ends of the earth. I think one chapel must be involved in sending people, sending missionaries, being concerned and being consumed with what's happening in the ends of the earth. A few weeks ago, we prayed over some uh, short-term mission trips going to Chile and the Ukraine. Last week you heard from Chris Moore and he talked about what's going on in North Korea and how important it is that we stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters there and stand for the gospel there. I think we have to embrace the missionary spirit that is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the Holy Spirit speaking into our lives and, and, and retaining the zeal of the gospel message. We have to be a church like that. And that's why I'm committed to partnering with missionaries. And we're partnering with a special mission group. Some of you have heard from Britt Hancock before. He was here a few, several months ago. And so Mountain Gateway is a partner of ours. It is really one with us. We are going to engage with them to send, to train, to recruit, to place, and to pastor missionaries all over the globe. Our church is going to engage in this process, in this practice. And I'm so excited about it. This is exactly like the first century church. If you go over a few chapters and you go to chapter 13 in the book of Acts, you see the first century church sending out people. Here it is in, in verse 1. It says, in the church at Antioch, there were, there were prophets and there were teachers. You know what that means? That means the, the writer of Acts was Luke, Dr. Luke, and he was writing and talking, telling the story about the first century church. He says, the, this church in Antioch had the voice of God speaking to it. There were prophets who were speaking, and there were teachers who were training. 
We need to have both in our church. It's, and then he names some of them. He says, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord, I love worshiping the Lord. It's the thing that gives you all the fuel you need to be a missionary. In fact, it is the most important thing. It is the thing. The reason we have missions is because there are people who don't get to experience that, who don't get to experience the love of Christ and the, his work in their lives. They were worshiping the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, now, I don't love fasting as much as worshiping. However, I, I think it is so important to discipline our bodies to listen to the voice of God. That's what fasting does. It quiets the desires of your life and focuses your attention on God's voice. So they were, pray, they were worshiping the Lord, the fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for, the, for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So, that they, so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Jesus was doing an incredible thing. The Spirit of God was doing an amazing thing in the first century church. And it was so amazing to them. It was so overwhelming, the power of the resurrected Christ. you got, you got to understand that. A person had risen from the dead, and they had witnessed it with their own eyes. And it, it was a catalytic event that, that empowered, that gave life. The power of God came into these believers like it hadn't before. And the resurrected Christ and his Holy Spirit began to empower them to speak and they were so excited about it. They were so amazed at it that they had to go and tell others about it. We can be no different. We must be no different. If you look at Romans chapter 10, you see in verse 14, turn over there if you want to, Romans chapter 10, verse 14. The scripture says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? This means that people can't call out to someone they don't know. They need to be told. Make no mistake, Jesus wants to reveal himself to them, but he does it through you. He does it through me. Verse 15, and how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Today, as we, I'm, I'm going to invite Brother Britt Hancock up, and we're going to talk about the partnership that we're making, the partnership to train missionaries to send, send them, to encourage them. Some of our own who have planted this church with us are going to be commissioned today. I want you to think about this passage. How can, they, how can they go unless they're sent? We have to be the kind of people that will embrace the missionary work of Christ with such zeal that we're willing to support and encourage and help those who feel called to go to a culture that they don't know, a called to go to a, a language that they haven't understood, they've got to learn. 
called to go into the darkest places. There is special honor and special, I think, um, care that must be given for those who are willing to go into another culture and willing to learn that culture, willing to be immersed in that culture and train up people and build disciples in that culture. That's what we're doing today. And I want you to understand that this is who we are as one chapel, that this is where we're going, that this is what we believe in. And so we're going to send some people out today. And I want you to watch. We're going to sh- I'm going to show you this little video that will help you understand a little bit more about Mountain Gateway and what's happening right now as they begin to recruit missionaries, new missionaries, young men and women who are giving their lives to long-term missionary work. You'll hear from Britt, but then you'll see a video of what's happening in Mexico in the villages, in the mountains of Mexico, in the indigenous people groups of Mexico. And you will see feet. You will see beautiful feet. These are the feet of believers who've come to Christ as a result of this ministry. Believers who've come to Christ who now carry it through villages, up mountains, through valleys, miles and miles to walk to share the message of the gospel. Let's watch this video together.
Awesome. So uh, this is Britt Hancock. I want to introduce his family. This is Britt and Audrey and all their kids, Aspen, Jacob, David. Come on, turn around. Yep. Get, let them give you a little hand. It's good. They're missing one, uh, Hannah, who's back in Colorado Springs. I love these people. They've been through darkness with me. They, we have been friends for about 18 years, and they have helped me, and I believe that we have uh, found the kind of friendship that, uh, that many, many people don't find. And uh, it's the kind of thing where you see people giving their lives for the gospel and for others, and I'm just so grateful for him. I'll tell you one story, and then I'll let Britt talk about what's happening in, in his ministry in Mexico. Um, we were in a little village. We were in a little place that we had gone to, and we'd, we'd, I think we'd hiked that day, and we hiked all the way to this place where there was a hut with a family that lived in it, and uh, one lone light bulb hanging from the middle of the middle pole that was holding up the tent, and and uh, a dirt floor, and you could hear the ladies in the back, and they were making stuff over the fi open fire, and uh, they were ready to serve us because we were there to have church. And uh, it was so, so amazing to just experience this very cross-cultural event. Um, and it was nothing like being in this movie theater. And, uh, and so I, I sat there on a bench, and we had kind of all lined up. And the rule is when you're on a missions trip, when, you, when, you're, when you're going into people's homes, you must eat everything they give you. doesn't matter what it is. Bummer. <laughs> and so you understand that. And so I knew the rules. I knew the rules going down. I was going to have to eat everything. So they started bringing out tamales. And I was like, oh, what's going to be in here? They call it, they call it a surprise. Surprise package. Surprise package inside of the Because you never know what's inside Turns out these were pretty good. Just some, yeah, it was actually not bad. There was no weird bugs or, or animals in it or <laughs> I don't know what else there might be in it. But it was great. So I started eating and I, they had this coffee stuff and you guys call it black stuff. And there was black stuff. We were drinking the black stuff and eating the tamales and everybody's, you know, kind of going along. Well, it's going along okay. I'm... I, I, they keep bringing them out. I, had, I was on my third one. The Energizer Bunny of surprise packages. And I, was, and I was thinking to myself, I don't know how much more I can eat. So I keep eating. I'm eating my fourth one. And I'm like... And Britt is here beside me on this side of the bench. Jacob's over here on this side of the bench. And... The lady comes out and puts one more on my plate, and I'm just like, it is not going to happen. Jesus, help me not to throw up. Because I'm a relatively small guy. i got a small stomach, and I just can't eat that much. So I'm eating, and I'm just chewing. Britt can see me. I can see him see me out of the corner of his eye, because I know I've got to eat everything on my plate. So it's just, oh, Jesus, Jesus, please help me. Please help me. And before I know it, out of the corner of my eye, I see Britt reach over, and he grabs onto one of the last tamale that was laying there and throws it into Jacob's bowl. <laughs> I'll never forget the look on Jacob's face as he looked at me. <laughs> he looked at his dad, actually, and then, and then wiped that look off his face and promptly ate it. It was incredible. These are the kind of people that, that the Hancocks are. They love, thank you. They, 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 
they uh, serve, they love, and they, they send. And I, I believe that Britt has, um, has really walked a journey where he's come to a place in the journey now where he is reproducing himself in others. And we're going to help him do that. And so, uh, Britt, I want you to tell us a little bit about um, just what you've been doing in Mexico for the last few years and uh, what that looks like. Because that's where some of these guys are going to go to be trained. They may not end up in Mexico. They may end up in any number of countries in, in the world, but they're going to go to Mexico. They're going to be trained. Yeah. Um, what we do is not complicated, but it is hard. We bring the gospel to places where the gospel is not established. And we start making disciples, and we form local church bodies, and we raise up leadership. So Because that, that's the only way that the gospel can have any longevity, uh, is if local leaders out of that community, um, you know, throw off the thousand years worth of idol worship and start worshiping Jesus and gain enough ability to start teaching other people how to do that and uh, winning souls and making disciples and it's a lot of hard work it's tedious and it takes a lot of time um, it's hard to make disciples it's easy <laughs> to make converts yeah and it's easier to make churchgoers but it's hard to make disciples and so that's what we do um, by the way just hearing that should challenge every one of us not to be churchgoers, but to be willing to be disciples and then be willing to be made into disciple makers. That's why we're doing this. That's right. Um, it's, Mexico is about 25% um, of the population of the country is rural. Most of those are indigenous people, meaning they have another native language. Spanish is their second language. And uh, there's not very many people who are focused on them. Um, that's millions and millions, 25 or 30 million. I don't know exactly how many. And you're talking about 25 or 30 million indigenous people, people. in the rural areas. Right. Because Mexico City has 30 million, people. 30 million people in it alone. Right. There's how many, what's the population, Brother Greg? 110 million or something. I don't know what the latest census is, but it's over 100 million people in the country of Mexico and there's a bunch of people that live in villages without um, many services. If they have electricity, it's just to run one light bulb hanging from the ceiling. Um, most of them don't have floors. Well, they have floors, but they're dirt or rock. <laughs> right. Um, a lot of grass roofs still. Um, it's, uh, it's very rural and really exotic. One of the... Um, common comments we have is, man, this feels foreign. <laughs> this, this really feels like a mission trip. And I'm like, what have you been doing? <laughs> and so <clears throat> um, it is extraordinary what Jesus is doing. We see uh, the power of God sees people's attention to draw them close to the master. And so what really what we do is introduce people to Jesus and um, I'm not interested in being so concerned about what people believe. I'm concerned with who people know. Mm, and good. the what comes from the who. The who doesn't come from the what. 
And so it's all about relationship, and we're not trying to educate them doctrinally so they can make a, a decision about uh, something that they want to change in their lives. Uh, we are doing our best to introduce people to Jesus, and anybody in any given second can make the decision to choose a relationship with Jesus without a bunch of information. Hmm. And so um, the information comes later. And, uh, and so because of the void, the great volume, the vacuum that there is, because uh, there aren't very many workers, there haven't been very many workers. Jesus talked about that. There are way more people that are ready to get saved than harvesters and people to make them into disciples. And that's the why. Um, I've had some very powerful encounters with the Lord uh, where he told me to find workers uh, and to train them, help them to stay, to take care of them. Uh, but the reason is, is because sin separated us from God and our relationship with God. And Jesus is the doorway to bring us back to relationship with God, to be defined by his presence and his life. And, uh, and so we want people who can catalyze that process, introduce people to Jesus, have their lives become about Jesus, and then do that all over again, offer that to other people who don't know about it. And, and Mountain Gateway is really committed to that as a purpose, not just to come to Mexico. Right. All over the world. I had to become a missionary in order to train missionaries. What Jesus told me to do was train missionaries. And now we have all these churches and all these people, and they're certainly my heartbeat. Um, but how many, uh, how many churches and people you got? We that, have that 40 villages. Yeah. Um, and over the years, because of training in, I've, I've participated in, you know, um, probably 15 or 20 more church plants besides what we've done in the last seven and a half years. Um, and so, um, there are things that you learn, you know, and you gain skill and, um, the Lord makes you, gives you, he fills in gaps that you don't have when you start, uh, certainly. Um, but the main thing is the presence of God. And, um, and so really what he's, what, what he's told me to do is recruit, train, place, and pastor missionaries. And the place means... I'm not interested in calling people. I do have the heartbeat of Mexico inside me. That's my pioneer work. Mm -hmm. That's our personal um, extension because I, you know, I don't, I'm, I don't think we ought to follow theorists. I think we should listen to practitioners and people who know how to do it. So that's where we personally do the church planting, discipling thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I won't ever, I'll always have a presence there doing that. But, um, the Lord is interested in the whole earth. Um, and there are dark holes uh, where people are going to hell all over the place, all over this country and in every country on the face of the earth and wherever Jesus wants to send the people that we train in. Our training is going to take about three years uh, and that gives them enough time to... Um, get rid of the clouds enough to understand, okay, this is really what I've gotten myself into. Once they understand that, then we can map a pathway and they can have more clarity and uh, the gravity of what it is that Jesus has spoken to their hearts. And then we'll map, map out how many ever more years and whatever it takes and whatever country and 
whatever other language they need to learn. These guys that you're going to be praying over today are, um, most of them are leaving Thursday to go to Guatemala to study Spanish. They'll be there for six months, and then they're moving straight into Mexico with us um, to begin. And so this is not an internship. It's not an exercise. This is real what they're doing. Um, they're going to be real pioneer missionaries working with real people, struggling with real problems, demon problems, social problems, moral problems. Um, it's a struggle, you know. There's, there's no dignified way to go about it. It's just a battle. Well, you believe that that battle requires unique preparation. Absolutely. Right? So the, the three years, they're going to learn language, and then there's going to be some other unique training elements. Uh, just talk about that for just a second in terms of the, the, what you've seen God put together and what the secret is, the key for missionaries to stay on the field. Yeah, um, leadership is the issue. And when I say that word, immediately all these things come to our minds. Um, but we're all called to be leaders. Each of us have a destiny and a purpose to lead someone or some group, groups of someone's. And there are skills that you can learn about that. And then there are natural uh, gifts and abilities and talents that God's given you. Um, and there's a big issue on the mission field. The number one reason why missionaries, for whatever reason, don't make it. They don't, they don't stay in the foreign field and continue to make disciples is that they can't get along with each other. <laughs> Who is right? It's hey, terrible. It's the same in churches around here. Imagine that. Um, tolerance for adversity and uncertainty, judgment and decision making, giving and receiving feedback, um, just putting up with each other and understanding how to resolve conflict. We know what the Bible says. We're not very good at doing that. And so um, I've grown up uh, loving camping and backpacking and wilderness skills and all those things. And um, so our training is beginning with a 90-day wilderness training expedition that's all about prayer and fasting and character um, t tool, leadership training, character building to make sure that we're all speaking the same language. Um, because every ministry has its own culture and way of communicating. And if we don't get all on the same sheet of paper and understand what it is we're saying to each other, then there's usually a disconnect. So we're going to start off not with these guys right here. These guys are my team that are going to help me for the... That video that you saw was part of a call for workers uh, that went out that we're going to take up to 12 people in 2012. And we're actually, quote, unquote, launching um, a school, if you will. Um, and that training starts uh, next summer. And that starts off with the 90 days in the wilderness. Um, um, and all our guys, uh, the, the team that Jesus has put together, they have talents and skills and training in, that, in those areas. I do. Um, and so it's a very purposeful thing. We have a purposeful idea and a purposeful leadership curriculum that is a, a tremendous thing. So why the works. wilderness? Why take everybody 90 days where they can't eat or drink anything except stuff they make? And yeah. Because you get real-time um, positive and negative consequence feedback without innocent people being involved. And so you can isolate the team members and actually work on 
the human dynamics. Because there's a thing we used to say in the mission that I trained in with. It takes us two years to figure out who it is Jesus is working with. Who is it that Jesus knows? Because when the chips are down, uh, it really could be somebody's behavior that uh, determines the safety of your family, your wife, and your kids. And people, whether they go to hell or not, and whether a whole village is turned off to, to, to Jesus or not. And so rather than do that on the field, uh, we begin to, to equip people with the tools of of understanding the human side of things. Because you know what? The God side always works perfectly. His gifts work. His talents <laughs> yeah. work. His power is flawless. Right. He knows what he's doing. The human side is what causes all the problems. And so that's what that's all about. And um, so often we have to catch up with a, a lack of training, a lack of life skills, and the wilderness will do it. You just can't cheat the mountain. It's impartial. It'll just stomp a mud hole in you without crying. <laughs> and you got to figure out how to work on that with that, you know. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay, so a few minutes ago, you said something very interesting. You said people don't have to have all the information to meet Jesus, right? You, you were talking about the idea of believing without all the... That's very foreign to Western ways of thinking. Yes. Um, but I think that is something so valuable for us to understand that there is a relationship, not a list of, uh, of criteria for doctrinal beliefs right. that allow people to begin a relationship with Christ. Yes. And so how, how does that ha- why and how does that happen in a village? Talk about the power of God and what you've had to, what you've seen, what you've experienced, what God has done through you and others because um, you've seen some pretty amazing things yes. in those villages. We have seen extraordinary things, and it's all about Jesus proving himself to people who have other ideas. And, um, you know, we've had eight people raised from the dead in the last seven and a half years where, where I work, and I'll, I'll tell you about one. So you can hear, I, I can hear the clicking going on in your head. What? Eight people? What? what? I, I, was, I was talking to a man on the phone who is actually the father of one of our applicants for 2012. And he said, now, and I get this a lot. Now, when you say raised from the dead, do you mean spiritually dead or physically dead? In which I respond, both. Yeah, right. Rigor mortis, you've all heard of that word? Yeah. Rigor mortis, in medical terms, is dead, dead, dead as a stump, dead. <laughs> All right? When rigor mortis is set in, everybody knows there's no kind of machine you can hook up to them. Everything is gone. Brain activity is shut down, on and on. It's just dead. No life. Life has departed. No way to bring it back except for the guy who created life. And so, um, which one should I say? (laughs) Okay. All right. This happened in January of 2010. Okay. I had this pastor. 
who was a new guy and he was struggling to figure out how to be a leader and we we're working with him and he felt, you know, insignificant like they all do because of their status and everything and, and huh, inadequate. And he couldn't hold his thoughts together very much because he had worked in jobs where he'd done a lot of uh, plumbing and he smelled a lot of PVC glue and it messed up his ability to stay focused in his mind. And so I would ask him to share and he would talk about one minute. And this guy's supposed to be a pastor, and I know he's supposed to be a pastor, but you really need to talk more than We know that pastors do talk a lot longer than one minute. We, yes, and Whew. some of us more some than others. Some of them we need to back off. Yes, like me. Yeah. And so that's why I have trouble with my voice right now. God's trying to get me to shut up and listen more. <laughs> but anyway, um, he had this encounter with God, and he just decided, I'm going to go do what I can. And he had been the primary guy to visit with this guy that uh, was dying with tuberculosis this last year. And he did all the visits and God healed him. That's a free one. And, and so this man lives at the top of a mountain and there's no road to his house. And he just got electricity there. And they didn't have electricity in January when he went. So he left his house at the top of this mountain and he hiked down this steep slope about 2,000 feet down to the river, and he hiked another 2,000 feet up to where he was going to do church. And I have sent him over there, and he was going every week and reading a verse and speaking a minute and a half. He was getting better and <laughs> praying for him and going home. And you, can, you cannot fathom how that is the thread of life. That is the gospel. And so he was over there to do his thing. He got there and everybody was, everything was all wrong and people were crying. And, and this lady had walked there waiting on him to get there. And he got there and she said, you have to come to my house. My son's died. And he was like, okay. And he didn't know what to do. So he canceled service. And the few believers that were there, they all walked to the next village. And it wasn't very far. It was about 15 minutes away. And so... As he's walking along, this is, every story has something unique in it. This is the unique thing about this story, other than God raised the dead. That's pretty unique. But this is unique, too, because this helps us. Yeah. Uh, he's walking along, and he's thinking, he said, Dios tengo duda. God, I, I, I have doubt. I'm, I'm, what can I do about this? I mean, this is a bad, this is a big problem. Would you all agree? Mm -hmm. Yes. And so he's walking along and he's having this conversation with God and God spoke to him and he said, I know you have doubt, but who are you going to be asking? And he said, well, I'm going to be asking you, God. He said, that's right. You're going to be asking me. Ask me, son. I don't have any doubt. And so that kind of helped him, kind of encouraged him. He kind of has a spring in his step and so he gets over there and he starts asking God. And this guy who can't talk but a minute to a minute and a half, was asking God over and over and over for over an hour. And he prayed and they walked around and they cried and they screamed and they, well, I mean, how, where, somebody show me the book on the method on how you raise the dead. Is it there? I mean, you have everything in your bookstores except that. And they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And all of a sudden, warmth. Because this kid 
had already had rigor mortis set in. He had been dead about two hours, and he was stiff and cold and sticky. And the stickiness went away, and the stiffness went away, and the coldness went away, and that little boy opened his eyes and sat up. And then this man who heretofore couldn't say anything but about a minute screamed and yelled and thanked God for another hour. And every unbeliever in the room got born again. Woo! Now look, I don't, I don't know how raising the dead works. I didn't read any Neither books on it. Neither do I. But raising the dead, not the, not the point. Right. Because uh, truthfully, for those who believe in Jesus, actually death is quite a wonderful thing. Um, but there is one who has overcome death. And when you meet him and you receive eternal life, there's something that totally transforms you. And we have to be about that business. And that's one of the reasons we are linking arms with Mountain Gateway to produce more and more missionaries. That's where part of our, part of our missions budget is going to go there. Part of what we do in our services, we're going to pray for people on the field. Part of what we're going to do as we, as we relate and, and learn more about what the needs are is we're going to care for them. Because that's part of what we need to do to be a healthy body of believers who are focused on the mission. And I'm very excited about it. So these young people that we're going to pray over today, I'm going to call them forward, Amen. and I want them to come up, and I want us to pray over them. This is You can view this at one chapel as our first commissioning service, the first of many. And these young people are going to go, and they are going to work with Brit. So I'm Let me gonna, say something real yeah, quick. Yeah, go ahead. 21 years ago, God told me to do this, and this is where it starts today. This is officially the beginning of something God told me to do that I had no I had no concept of what was involved. And I'm blessed that you are us and we are you and we are starting this together. Yeah. We are too. Tim Angiano, Tim, come on. Come on, stand up here. Tim gets a big old hand because he's one of ours. And uh, he, is, he came here with us to plant this church. Came to Austin, felt like the Lord was moving him to come. And, uh, and then as he came here, he, he realized there was more. He was supposed to go even further south. And I, I said, I said, oh, God, don't take, don't take him. We kind of need him. Back to his family roots. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> So, so I, I appreciate Tim, all he has served us in and planting one chapel. So then we have Garrett and Lish Gilday. Garrett and Lish, come on up. I've known Garrett and Lish for a long time. Uh, I was in ministry with them, along with them. I watched Garrett take his first missions trip. Uh, I watched the God move in him and do something incredible in him and getting married to this beautiful girl named Lish. Um, they are committed, surrendered to a life of missionary work, them and their kids. Tyler, come on up here. Tyler Griffith. 
Tyler is related to one of our own, Chelsea Griffith, who many of you know. And so Chelsea uh, does so much around here, makes things happen administratively and all that. And Tyler is such an incredible guy. I met him a few years ago and uh, he plays the fiddle. And the joy that comes out of this guy is amazing. I can see it happening. He's going to be in those villages playing his fiddle. That's right. It's going to be a beautiful thing. Um, Jacob Hancock. Come on up, Jacob. Now, Jacob, this is, uh, this is serious business when you realize that you're willing to send your own son. <laughs> That's right. That, uh, and Jacob is, is uh, Britt's son and Britt and Audrey's son, and uh, I watched him grow up. He grew up in Mexico, and uh, he has been a missionary for a long time, but he's fixing to enter into a new season of, of missionary training. Yeah, see, did you like that? Yeah. Yes, He's like fixing that. to start. I don't know what that means, fixing to start, but it's... Uh... Then we have our, our last one is Alex Rossi. Alex. Come over here on this side, Alex. I, I, I've just recently met Alex, and I really appreciate his spirit, his life, his heart. I think God put adventure in the heart of this young man a long time ago, and he's known just listening to his mom, listening to his sister, listening to their prayers for him and his his life, that he's been on this road a long time, and this is, this is the start of the rest of his life. And so um, all of these people, we had a family gathering last night, and the families shared with one another. We prayed over one another. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. But I want you to see these young people before you. They are willing to give their lives for the message of the gospel. I want their, their images to burn in your brain. I want you to see them as you see your own children. I want you to believe that they are part of your family because indeed they are. And so I want you to stand up with me and let's pray over them. Let's commission them to the ministry that God has for them. And I want you just as an act of your support, an act of what you are gonna do to, to surrender to God's calling in their lives, is I want you just to reach your hands out toward them. I want you to reach your hands out and, and bless them. Bless them in their journey. Bless what Jesus is doing in them. Yeah, come around behind them, somebody behind every one of them. That's good. Leaders, come around behind them and let's, let's pray for them. Are you ready, One Chapel? This is a momentous occasion. This is a beautiful, beautiful moment because we're gonna plant some seeds here that are gonna grow up to be beautiful. Beautiful trees producing fruit. Father, that is what we pray. This is our heart, this is our desire. This is our calling. As we look at these young men and young women, we want you to bless them. We want you to strengthen them. We want you to lift them up in your hand. We want you to empower them to speak with boldness the, gl the glorious gospel, the light of life, the message of Jesus Christ. We want you to fill them with power, the power of the Holy Spirit so they can be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in the ends of the earth, Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would call them in greater and greater authority to speak to people, to speak their life, 
to speak your life, to let their life be an example, to be a, 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 an instrument in your hand that you are using them to speak into other people's lives. Lord, help them to be your hands and your feet. Help them to speak the words of truth and the words of life, that there is nothing greater in this life than to share who you are with others. Father, help them to serve. Father, we pray for the courage that only you can bring. Courage in the face of danger. Courage in the face of difficulty. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would arm them with your spirit, with your word, with your life. Lord, we thank you that you will protect them. You will walk before them and behind them and on each side. We thank you that you are now ushering them in. We commission them to the ministry of the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, going into all the world, raising people up, raising up leaders, discipling people, raising up disciples. Father, we thank you for them and we commission them in the name of Jesus Christ. They are yours and we release them. We send them. We bless them now. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's thank Jesus for what he's doing. We have one more thing that I want to, to, to happen here because they're not alone. Each one of us are also commissioned. I want Britt to pray over us that we will be commissioned by the Holy Spirit to do what these are doing in our own home. So Britt, would you pray over us? We receive it from you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the miracle that you're doing crafting a body together in this place and we don't know how maybe exactly to advance your kingdom but we ask you to show us I ask you Lord to touch these people let them understand that we are in the same mission, the same focus, the same purpose. Each one of us have different expressions. But I ask that you give clarity. Help us, God, as a local church, do a good job in taking care of those that give up their lives yes, God. and leave their families and their hometowns and their inheritance to serve you in a foreign land. Thank you, Lord. Teach us how to care for those who are not here. Yes, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus.